The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire Podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. It was my pleasure to have as my guest on this episode one of the heroes of our sport, Dr. Margaret Goodman. Uh, We talked about her views on COVID protocols and which states are doing it right. We discussed how VADA's testing protocols have been affected by COVID and how they have uh, used the downtime in the sport to make informational videos available on the VADA website. We also got into the debate about the proper use of MRIs. And my second guest on this podcast was boxing writer and attorney extraordinaire Scott Schaefer. We analyzed last weekend's busy schedule of fights, including White, Pavetkin, Taylor Pursoon, Smith Alvarez, and Porter Formella, and how it finally seemed like boxing was back after the long hiatus due to the pandemic. Two really fun conversations. Hope you enjoy. I am really excited to have as my guest on the Boxing Esquire podcast, the esteemed uh, neurologist from uh, Las Vegas, uh, Dr. Margaret Goodman, to talk about uh, all things uh, drug testing and, and, and medical and, and the sport of boxing as much as we can fit in in the time we have with her. So uh, welcome to the podcast, uh, Dr. Goodman. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry I don't have much time today. It just turned out to be that way. Apologize, though. <laughs> No worries, no worries. Any anytime we can get with you is great. So, uh, so I guess what I'll do is I'll I'll, I'll get right to it. I mean, I, you know, if it, for people who don't know, uh, Margaret uh, uh, helped or formed the uh, the Voluntary Anti Doping Association VADA in in 2011. I guess just a, a little bit of background. So, tell us how that that came to be and and why you formed the organization. Um, well, I mean, it's been discussed several times, so I hate to be redundant, but um, bottom line was um, there just seemed to be a universal lack of drug testing in the sport of professional boxing and definitely no uniformity. So we established VADA just to try to make that point and to give fighters that wanted to demonstrate their commitment to clean sport ability to do so. So that's why we started in late 2011, and we've been continuing ever since. Um, A lot of uh, different fighters use us, also promotional entities, commissions as well. Uh, Obviously, during COVID-19, there's more limitations due to, you know, cutbacks, but we're trying to help as many fighters as we can. We're also trying to expand educational ability so that fighters can learn more about what's prohibited, the side effects of prohibited substances. So we started an e-learning uh, YouTube channel as well um, to provide information and have it at hand. Excellent, excellent. Well, speaking of COVID, um you uh, you co-authored an article along with uh, Dr. Cheryl Wolkin of the uh, New York State Athletic Commission and jo- Dr. John Stiller from the Maryland State Athletic Commission that was published in The Ring in, in May uh, 2020 titled uh, Coronavirus, Combat Sports Policy in the UFC. You listed a number of facts about the virus and also a number of questions for the Florida State Athletic Commission and the UFC to answer about the initial event that they held in Florida. 
Were you satisfied with how that event was handled by both the Florida Commission uh, and the UFC? No, obviously not. But, you know, things have improved considerably. It's an ever-changing problem. Um, and and it's not just that COVID is changing and it, the symptoms involved, but also the way it's being handled. I would say that um, the Nevada Athletic Commission, California Athletic Commission, um, and and promotional entities um, such as Matchroom and Top Rank and and also the British Boxing Board of Control are are handling the the issue as best as possible given the circumstances. You know, it's it's a financial issue too because you would like to place fighters in a bubble as long as possible and anybody that works with them so that you can maintain that they're free of COVID and not going to show symptoms as time goes on. There's only so much you can do, but I think those commissions are doing an excellent job um, in trying to keep the, the problem as low as possible and so the fights can take place. It's, an, it's, it's a learning experience for everyone. I think everyone's doing as best they can. Um, I, I'm sure things will change next month and maybe even next week as far as what we know, what we don't know, what we need to know. Um, but, you know, a lot of people that believe that it isn't an issue or it doesn't exist or it's a hoax or all that stuff, I, I think that's foolhardy. And it is a significant problem that needs to continue to be addressed. Um, that doesn't mean we forget about anti-doping. Um, it just makes it all a little bit more difficult. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, at the end of the article, you kind of, you recommended that the Association of uh, Boxing Commissions and the Association of Ringside Physicians develop uh, and implement like a national coordinated plan. Um, obviously, that hasn't happened, but I, I, I would assume that you know, have you had a, a chance to look at the California and Nevada guidelines? I mean, are, are those you would yeah. recommend as like yeah. a model for a national plan or, or how did you see it? I, I, I think that they're doing an excellent job and I think those could serve as a model for it as well. I think um, the in Great Britain, they're doing a really good job as well in trying to keep everything at bay and keeping everyone protected so no, I think uh, I think all those entities, those three, definitely from what I've seen, those are really the only three that I know of, as far as the actual commission instituting um, protocols. Um, but I think they've been been doing as good a job as possible. I think also um, Nevada um, reviewed the protocols set forward when fights started happening there by the UFC and also by top rank. Um, I don't know what other promoters have been having fights in Nevada thus far, but but they submitted very detailed plans, and I think that um, maybe they've been making some small adjustments, but overall they've been doing an excellent job. Right, right. Yeah, I've noticed, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I've had managed fighters in the sport, and I know a lot of people in the sport. So I know, you know, Top Rank and PBC, they've, they've done multiple shows. I mean, Top Rank, you know, in Nevada. PBC, I think, has done some in California, some in Connecticut. Um, and their protocols differ. It seems like the PBC seems to require, like, more extensive testing, more time in the bubble. I mean, have, have you had a chance to look at, like, a Top Rank or PBC's protocols and, and, and you know, which... You know, I've been, I've been just looking at the commission protocol, so I don't know. Um, I'm sure I'll, I'll be able to see those soon, but I don't, I don't know exactly what, um, 
what they've been doing in Connecticut. Um, I know the protocols that California requires are, are very thorough and, and, and as strong as possible. I mean, obviously, like, you know, I know what they're doing with professional basketball with the NBA, and, I mean, obviously, you would love it if you could just lock everyone up, but that's just not the way our sport is, so right. it's impossible. But, but I think under the circumstances, they're doing a really good job, and I'm sure they'll, they'll advance those as time goes on, hopefully. If there is a time in the not-too-distant future where things change, um, there's some kind of vaccine that we know that's safe for people to use that can provide some kind of immunity and a herd immunity, then that can be implemented, and then maybe not all of this will be necessary. People will be able to prove, you know, produce proof of, of a vaccination that's, you know, had sufficient time to take effect, and maybe hopefully then they won't have to undergo all these all this testing, and that'll cut down on the expense. It'll let more fights take place. It'll make it easier on everybody. Right, right. Well, yeah. Let's. Uh, you mentioned this uh, previously, but you know, let's let's catch up on kind of the state of drug testing. So, so how has COVID affected you know what 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 Vada is generally contracted to do? You know, it slowed down for quite a bit during a few months, like in March, April, and then um, we picked up in, in May somewhat in June, obviously with no fights being held. And because of the restrictions, you know, we didn't want to interfere with the privacy and the concerns that an athlete might have, especially if they're essentially staying at home with their family members that could have comorbidities or other illnesses and they don't want to risk them and there's no gyms open. So we cut back tremendously and, but, but over the last few months, things have picked up a lot. And so we've been able to more freely test fighters, but we've been following strict protocols that VADA put in place. Also, um, obviously, the um, CDC has recommendations, but also the World Anti-Doping Agency put out recommendations. But I think we even go beyond that as far as taking precautions during testing, as far as, you know, how we make contact with the athlete. Um, We used to just show up at the locations that the athletes had provided on their whereabouts information. But what we were doing instead was first calling them. We have to still be able to reach the athlete within an hour, but but um, we were calling them and asking them a series of questions as far as their exposure to COVID-19 or anybody else that they knew or what they've been tested or treated, et cetera. And then if we felt comfortable, and of course the doping collection officers had to be free of COVID as well, right. um, then we would show up at where the athletes requested us. Sometimes they wanted a change as far as the location because of family members being at home and concern over their risk and having anyone in their home, which is obviously very understandable. So we then um, met the athlete where they wanted us to, to see them and, you know, we wore all kinds of protective gear and even offered the athletes if they didn't have them, you know, masks and uh, special pens and everything. So nothing was reusable. And um, so we've we've made all of these adjustments and we really haven't had too much of an issue, I don't think. It's just that for some time we've cut back on the n- number of tests and also because a lot of the number of tests that Vada did were for fighters leading up to an event. And so that that changed a bit. Um, but 
No, I think things are 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 moving along quite readily. I think as you see fights being scheduled and people feeling more comfortable, um, we're we're certainly able to continue our program. But that's why another reason why during this time, we tried to concentrate on more e-learning. Whereas, you know, we would have loved to have had, you know, way back when, probably last year, the end of or the beginning of this year, have in-person events. Um, one thing that's been good because of people being in a lockdown situation, we've been able to work on um, e-learning programs. Um, we'll have another one that'll probably come out this week on concussion. Um, Vladimir Klitschko has been very helpful in giving us his thoughts and advice and participating in the programs that we have, and I want to continue with those. Well, that's really interesting. So, a lot of obviously goes goes beyond just drug testing. I mean, you're 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 all about like the you know the the, the full health of of the fighter, and and you have a lot of um, programs and information to give to give boxers as well. So, how, how do I mean? You have a website, right? So so boxers can 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 find this website, and and what information right. uh, do do you have for them? Basically, they can um, go to our website, which is vada, V-A-D-A-testing.org, um, and seek information. We also have um, access for fighters um, through, a, through uh, a company that Drug Free Sport created that's called Axis. So any fighter, even a non-VADA fighter, can go to our website and look how to sign on to Axis. And there, through Axis, um, either their, themselves or their conditioning person or their trainer, et cetera, someone that works with them, sometimes it's their manager, can send in names or even photos of labels of supplements and things they want to take to find out if those entities have ever tested positive through someone else's drug test through time because um, or they can ask um, the risk level. No one will really approve supplements because sometimes even the best of supplements can be manufactured next to something that's prohibited or something may not be on the label. But in this way, they can at least try to obtain as much information about what they want to take. The great thing also about access, they've got all kinds of great stuff for fighters, especially in their downtime, to learn about dietary things that they can do to improve their diet and cutting weight, um, as far as trying to actually make weight. They can look about nutrition. They even have recipes and things like that. I mean, they've got a whole host of stuff that's available all free for fighters to do that VADA subscribes to, so it's no cost to the fighters. Also, if a fighter joins our program, um, for testing, they have available to them um, where they can actually physically send in their supplements to banned substance control group to have those supplements tested and certified so that they can have some assurance that their supplements are free of performance enhancing drugs. So fighters that can, you know, that are actually in the program can do that. Um, and then, like I said, we've got this new e-learning YouTube channel that were there. Usually they're, they're about seven minutes long, so they're quick and easy. You don't have to spend a lot of time. We're, we're, um, having them translated as we speak into Spanish. Um, so we have that. Fada also has an app that's available to fighters that are enrolled in app in Vada and also fighters that are through the WBC clean boxing program can use to, sh- to give us uh, quick changes to their whereabouts, their locations and travel and all of that contacts. 
so we are easily able to reach them when we come to test. Because as you know, the clean boxing program fighters um, are enrolled for throughout the year if they're going to maintain themselves in the program or they're rated fighters through the WBC, which is a great thing. And that, that has really contributed to a lot of uniformity in drug testing by having all those individuals stand up. And I would tell you that so many of those fighters are not rated through the WBC but want to, again, demonstrate their commitment to clean sport by being enrolled oh, and a- subject to testing. That's excellent. So, yeah, the, there's the WBC Clean Boxing Program. Now, I know a few years ago the WBA also uh, was, wanted to get involved and, and work with VADA with the Fair Boxing Program. Is that still ongoing, or, or has that been discontinued no. for the time being? They, they they initiated that, but I guess for a number of reasons they weren't able to follow through on that. So we, we stepped aside from being involved in that. So I don't know if they have something else you would have to ask them. Okay, okay. Now, Vada's also uh, done work with the World Boxing Super Series. Is that correct for the uh, for the World Boxing correct. Super Series tournament? Yes. Yeah, that's a good point. We actually were enlisted to work with them their first uh, season and their second season, and that involved um, out of competition testing and then post fight testing. And um, obviously, all those fighters participate in the program. There, that was worldwide. I mean, that's. I mean, we we test worldwide anyway, but it was fascinating for us to be a part of that because the fights were held in so many different interesting locations, and uh, there were a lot of fighters we might never have been able to come in contact with that were part of that program. So that was that was fun, and that's great. And um, I think I would I think they've rescheduled their is it I I can't remember. I think it's the cruiserweight final, yeah. Yeah, and so we should be involved in that as well, and I mean, that's that's great. That's excellent. That's excellent. Well, I know I, I only have you for a, for a limited amount of time because of your, your very busy schedule, which I completely respect. Um, I, I've got a question just on, on, on some findings kind of in your, your area of specialty. Um, the uh, last year, there, there were two kind of, I would, I would call them conflicting things that, that came out. There was a Cleveland Clinic study on uh, MRI imaging where they were saying that, um, you know, that they're, they're finding that, you know, measuring the volumes of, of certain brain regions using MRIs, you know, uh, it, it can be like a biomarker, um, though, you know, the, the findings kind of needed some validation. Um, but then there was another doc, Dr. Chertoff who came out saying, he argued that screening boxers with CT and MRI brain scans was deeply flawed and potentially hazardous and um, you know, I don't know, he came out with any number of reasons uh, why, why they shouldn't scan boxers with MRI. So uh, are you familiar with, with both of those uh, no, <laughs> studies? No, I'm not. I would like to see that. If you could forward that to me, that would be interesting to see why he felt it was so deeply flawed. I think that there's a couple things to obviously keep in mind. You know, we're always looking for ways to quantitate um, changes within boxers' brains to help make a determination when someone should continue their career or retire. Um, however, even with that in place and that being, you know, something that we can uh, rely upon to hopefully prevent so much incidence of chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE, um, the most important thing is for commissions to be aggressive 
in following a, a fighter's career that comes to their jurisdiction, and that hence goes back to why we need some kind of an of a stronger national data bank to follow fighters. And one thing that's been great about the Cleveland Clinic um, here in Las Vegas or the Lou Ruvo Center for Brain Health, that they've been conducting all kinds of studies to try to to try to delineate exactly what we need to look for, what changes are going to preclude someone from continuing their career. They also recently did a study that hasn't even been published yet, having independent reviewers review fights on when a fight should stop. You know, there's no hard and fast rule often for that. Often it's the fan that's sitting ringside or watching on television that yells and says, this should stop. But but is that really necessary and true? And how does that coordinate with when the fight actually was stopped? Under what, you know, what... Um, what changes or or things going on within a round or over over the course of a fight would necessitate a fight being stopped. So hopefully that'll get published soon. But I would love to see this study that this gentleman did that you referred to. I mean, obviously, clinically, there's a clinical diagnosis that someone needs to make when they think a fighter has had too much punishment. And, and often that supersedes any specific test that you can do now or maybe any test that will be able to be performed to make that determination. Sometimes you just have to watch a fighter's career, especially now that just about everything is being filmed. You know, back many, many years ago in the dark ages when I started as a ring physician, there were a lot of fights that were never televised, and so you didn't really have that that background to go that history on that fighter other than what suspension they were given and what the result of the fight was. But now that we have that, it it it's important for us to be able to follow their career, see how they're progressing, include the amateur career that someone's had because too often that's ignored as far as the punishment that an amateur fighter takes as well before they even get to the pros. So I think all those things are important. I think the bottom line is often the the statistics that you need are not necessarily um, testing that's actually been performed, but what you can see and and obviously just by examining an athlete, watching how they perform in during throughout their career in making a determination and, and too often it just gets it all just gets ignored and people try to hang their hat on some kind of clinical or some kind of physical radiologic exam or a or a you know neuropsych test that may not give you all the things you need to do to make that determination. Right, right, absolutely. Well, Dr. Goodman, I do not want to hold you up anymore. I know you're very busy, so but I really appreciate you taking Thank the time you. to 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 speak to me today. And uh, listen, you're making a difference in the sport, and 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 you know we we, we all really appreciate that. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I'm sorry it ended up being a crazy a crazy day in my office, but I appreciate you including me. No worries, no worries. We'll take care. All right, thank you. Okay, doctor. Bye. All right, bye. Bye bye. And now for my conversation with Scott Schaefer. All right, it's my distinct pleasure to have my good friend, uh, boxing attorney extraordinaire. Um, you know, you, you know him as a writer at BoxingTalk.com as well. Uh, Mr. Scott Schaefer back on the podcast. Uh, Scott, welcome back to the uh, Boxing Esquire podcast. How are you? I'm doing great, Kurt. Thank you so much for having me. As usual, uh, 
love, love, love chopping up boxing, uh, boxing and, uh, all the latest events with you on your show. <laughs> cool. Cool. So yeah, man, I just wanted to do like a, a quick and dirty, uh, you know, for us, <laughs> who usually do like two and a half hour podcasts, it's a quick and dirty uh, of, of, of what was, I thought, maybe the, the best weekend of boxing we've had uh, since uh, since the COVID uh, pandemic. Um, and let's start with uh, the fights from Eddie Hearn's backyard. Uh, first yeah. of all, have you, have, you been, have you been following Fight Camp? Uh, what do you think about, uh, you know, boxing uh, Shea Hearn? Well, for, first of all, uh, I, I, what, I, what I really loved about this weekend was, for me, this was for, this was the first time in, you know, COVID really hit us about five months ago. This was the first time in five months where it really felt like boxing was back. Mm. Like, it really felt like uh, this is not, hey, we got some boxing, let's watch it. Like, this is, the, the sport was really back. We had three, three, three big cards on, on major networks, a couple of other cards scattered around the world and uh, with, with some significant names on them. It, it just really feel, felt like, you know, there was a lot to choose from. There were some meaningful fights. Uh, and, and, and it wasn't just, hey, let's just give the fans something and, and they're going to be forced to be happy with it. Uh, yeah, so, so fight camp uh, must be really weird. I mean, that's, that's the house, from what I understand, that, that's Barry Hearn's house. That's the house that Eddie Hearn grew up in. Right. Um, must must be must be pretty cool to have these major fight cards at the house you grew up in, and uh, all I can say is from from what I've seen of fight camp, I mean, you know, we, we, it, he must have had some pretty cool house parties back in the day when he was growing up. <laughs> you know, Eddie Eddie Hearn was definitely you definitely wanted to get invited to his house parties growing up. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, not 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 bad digs, man. Definitely. Uh... Definitely, but I, I gotta say, you know, I mean, you know, for the most part, you know, the the, the fights have delivered, and and certainly the main event uh, this past weekend did. Um, you know, uh, Dillian White and, and, and Povetkin was was uh, you know all that we could have asked. I mean, just just right. you know, two big heavyweights throwing bombs and uh, and definitely an unexpected ending there. I mean, who who did you think? Who did you kind of have going in? Who do, who did you think? How did you think the fight was going to turn out? Well. I was par- I'm partial to Povetkin. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but uh, you know, about a decade ago, I used to uh, do a lot of work for Sauerland when Povetkin was one of the big heavyweights, and I met him a few times and um, couldn't really converse with him because his English is so limited. But you know, had to- toast- toasted him at you know had some vodka shots with him after a couple of his wins, and <laughs> I, I was not uh, I was biased towards him, so I was kind of hoping he would win. Uh, pulling for him, and I, I guess if you would have pressed me for a prediction, I, I would have said that. But uh, I would have predicted him. But um, um, you know, look, he's he's 40 years old, so um, you know, it was a really interesting interesting fight going in. And I guess uh, you know, for those of you who still don't know, um, you know, Povetkin was very nearly knocked out, uh, and then came back and and threw one of the most beautiful uppercuts the heavyweight division has seen in the last 30 years to, to put white out. And, uh, you know, seems like a lot of people aren't shedding too many tears that Dillian white lost. He didn't make a lot of friends <laughs> with his abrasive personality. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, there, there was a lot of, as, as the British would say, whinging about, uh, about not getting a, a, a shot at the WBC title. And indeed, I think the guy has been mandatory, you know, 
since the nineties sometime, you know, right. but, I, but I mean, right. listen, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, the way I felt about it was, um, you know, and I, I talked about it a couple podcasts ago with Doug Fisher was, um, you know, I was just waiting for the other shoe to drop with Dillian White. I mean, he's taken, you know, save for his last fight in Saudi Arabia, which was a tune up, but he had taken like so many tough fights in a row, you know, like Chisora twice and Parker and Rivas. And, calm. Takam yeah. was a tough fight, right? Yeah, Takam and, and and even Lucas Lucas Brown, um, you know that 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 was definitely uh, going in was considered a, a fairly competitive fight, um, considering Brown was like uh, undefeated. So, um, you know, and and you have all these fights and you don't have like any. Yeah, Hellenius was in there too, <laughs> fought uh fought, you beat uh, Robert Hellenius. So, like he he had fought about as good opposition as anyone in the heavyweight division. And you just take so many tough fights in a row, eventually it's going to catch up to you, you know, and, and Povetkin, just one of these guys, I mean, he's a pros pro at this point. I mean, he's got, you know, just that, that great amateur pedigree, gold medalist, um, you know, only been beaten twice by, by Klitschko and Joshua. Um, you know, the, the draw he had a couple fights ago with, uh, with Hunter um, that was a fight that could have went either way and people thought he was slipping and maybe he is. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, listen, I, I thought White was going to somehow find a way to win, but it was definitely one of those fights where you're like, man, you know, th- this is a very dangerous fight. Like he could get beat right. and and this right. is the third right. time he's hit the deck from an uppercut. I mean, Joshua knocked him out with an uppercut. Oscar Rivas dropped him with an uppercut and now Pavetkin just, just iced him with an uppercut, yeah. but just... And great, I, great I, I misspoke. I misspoke a second ago. He he didn't fight Carlos Takam. Yeah, I was, uh, that was one. I was like, I was like Takam. I don't remember Takam. I, I misspoke. I apologize. I apologize to your audience for that. But uh, uh, look, you know, Povetkin's forty years old, but the 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 last thing to go is the power. Right. Um, as as we've seen over and over again in the heavyweight division, and you know, he did look a little bit slower to me. Um, you know, did take more punishment than he's usually taken against. Everybody who's not named Joshua or Klitschko, um, but I mean the guy knows how to fight. He's a yes. he's a fighter, and uh, I you know it was it was an excellent fight, and uh, you know it, it, we could talk about the the corruption of the sport, um, but it looks like there's going to be a rematch, and you know I the, the rematch is going to be just as interesting. I mean I I probably you know after seeing after seeing the the five rounds of action. Probably make White the favorite for the for for the rematch, or at least an even even an even fight, which is saying a lot considering how bad White was knocked out. Right, right, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, Dillian, it, it seemed like you know when he when he had the fight at at, at arm's distance, you know, and he did have a, a significant reach advantage. Um, you know, it was all him, and I mean, he had dropped the Vetkin twice in in the fourth round. Looked like it was just a matter yeah. of time. Right. Um, the, the first the first one, if you haven't seen the fight yet, the the first knockdown. Povetkin didn't seem too too hurt. He got right up, but the second one, he was he was a little shaken. He was a little wobbly when he got back up. Right. It, it, right. You know, they, they they called it a flash knockdown on the DAZN broadcast, but I I would not I would disagree. I, to me, that was a legit. The second knockdown was a real knockdown. You know yeah. that that it did not look good for Povetkin. You know at that point. Yeah, he, it was a really short uppercut, but it hit him so flush, and it was obvious he just didn't see it. I mean, he, yeah, he was definitely he was definitely shook from from that one. Um, but man, credit to him—he just came out like a ball of fire to to begin the fifth round, and just an—I mean, 
Well, it's one of those things. Like Dillian White can't complain. He can't say a word because it was just such a beautiful move. I mean, you know, Pavekin dipping to the left. You know, Dillian White expecting the body shot and and Pavekin just turning. You know, turning that wide body shot into an uppercut and just you know just roasting him with it. Just the beautiful. Yeah, I mean, I, I, w- I was thinking about some of the great uppercuts we've seen in the heavyweight division over the last twenty or thirty years, and yeah, you know, I I, I mean, what, what comes to mind? I guess. Uh, uh, you know, Ruddick. Tyson had a couple. <laughs> uh, Holyfield against Buster Douglas. I think Buster Douglas and, and didn't Buster Douglas and Tyson both knock each other down with 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 great uppercuts? Or yes, I, I know Doug, Douglas finished Tyson up with a combination, but I think a, an uppercut started the combination. Absolutely, yep, yep, yep. Um, you know, so there, there's Tyson, there's Holyfield. I mean, maybe uh, Lennox Lewis and Frank Bruno, maybe. But I mean. Um, this is this is right up there with just some of the classic classic heavyweight uppercuts. Well, yeah, I mean, because this one, I mean, it you know, he didn't need a follow up. It was a it was a one hitter right. quitter, man. It was one shot, and that was it. So, just such a clean yep. clean uh, knockout. So, so yeah, listen, you know, Pavetkin's a player again. You know, the, like you said, I mean, you know, you, you White may be the favorite going into the rematch, but it's obvious that you know Pavetkin can hurt him and knock him out. So, you know, uh, you know. Do we want to see Pavetkin? Uh, you know, do you think either Pavetkin or White beats uh, Tyson Fury? If, if, if you know, and 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 that's that's another thing uh, that we haven't talked about was the WBC. You know, had basically made it known that if White won the fight, then you know Tyson Fury could not go ahead with the unification with Joshua. He had to fight White, and now that's right. off the table <laughs> because Pavetkin. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it was a one-way street. Uh, Pavetkin <laughs> has the interim title, but does not have the guarantee that the WBC will order him to fight the, the full champion. Um, you know, I find that to be pretty corrupt to say the <laughs> least. Um, 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 but, uh, you know, to me, I guess if I could, you know, if these were guys were all chess pieces on the board and I could move them around, I mean, I, I would personally, you know, like to see Povetkin and, and Wilder finally get it on. Mm. You know, for those of you who don't remember, they were supposed to fight and, uh, Povetkin tested positive for a, a, a banned substance, um, which of course is bad. Um, but you know, if you remember, Wilder pulled out of that fight pretty quickly, right? I mean, right. he, you know, uh, you know, I mean, look, I don't blame him. I'm not faulting him. He, you should not have to fight a guy who's 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 you know chemically enhanced. But Wilder, you know, seemed to be okay with the fight not happening, and I would. Love to see that fight now, Povetkin and Wilder. I mean, to me, those are the number three and number four guys in the division. And, you know, let those guys fight each other and, 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 and clear the way, you know, for, 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 Tyson, uh, for Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua. I mean, that, that's, that's what I'd like to see. Um, I think we're probably going to see, like I said, Povetkin and, and White in a rematch. And, you know, White may very well win the rematch, but... Um, Look, that's good, but but that's that's okay. I mean, that's the first fight was so good. I I, I don't mind seeing it again. I, you know, how do you feel about it? No, no, no. I, I think it's you know, and, and you know, obviously it's it's going to happen because there's a rematch clause in there, just like Fury Wilder three is going to happen because there's a rematch clause. I mean, um, you know, assuming that the favorites win, let's say Fury and White win, I still wouldn't mind seeing Povetkin and Wilder and kind of a loser goes home. You know, like. Uh, match where you know the 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 person who loses that fight should probably just pack it in but uh 
and the winner, you know, is 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 back in the mix. But uh, uh, no, listen, the heavyweights are exciting, man, and and you know these are the type of fights you like. And you know, as much as I, I I'll say that you know Dillian White kind of played with fire by taking a lot of tough fights and and not getting the the, the big prize, you know, the the heavyweight title fight. Um, credit to him for doing that, you know, for for not just sitting around and sitting on a number one rating and taking tough fights, you know. Um, that's, a, that's a great point. That's a great point. I, I guess, you know, White has rubbed me the wrong way, and, and so maybe I'm a little too stingy with giving him credit, but you're, you're absolutely right. He he does deserve credit for, for taking for taking that fight. Uh, you know, look, Povetkin was coming off the draw with Hunter, but still clearly, a, I mean, no worse than top 11 or 12 in the world, and 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 uh, he he deserves credit for that, and uh, you know he had a promoter who was powerful enough to be able to obtain a, a rematch clause for him, so he is protected, and uh, you know we should have another good fight by by the end of the year. Absolutely. Um, where, so where do you, where do you put Povetkin in the heavyweight division? I mean, do you, do you put him in your top five? Oof. I mean, I would put him ahead of. Yeah, you got to put him ahead of White. You got to put him ahead of Ortiz. I think at this point, I mean, Ortiz hasn't really had a big win of late. Right. Um, I'd put him ahead of Hellenius. Um and I can't really think of any other besides you know Wilder and and Joshua and Fear. I mean, you know, do you put him ahead of Ruiz? Um, right. I do. I you mean, do. Okay. Yeah. I do. I, I think to me the toughest question is, do you put him ahead of Usyk? You know, Usyk really mm. hasn't done anything in the heavyweight division. I would, yeah, but, on resume, but he's yeah. Alexander, but he's Alexander Usyk. So, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, know, listen, yeah, on, on resume at heavyweight, you know, Usyk has to prove himself. You know, he hasn't even beaten a guy like Chisora, who, who White has beaten twice, you know, and people consider that a very competitive fight. So so we'll see how he looks in his next fight. But I, I think for now, um, yeah, I think Povetkin definitely deserves top five. You know, you, you got to put him in the top because Dillian White certainly was. I mean, he was like number four to me, right behind, um, you know, Wilder and, and Fury and Joshua. So, um, I, I think you got to give Povetkin that spot. I mean, right. you know, I mean, you got Pulev, you got Usek, but uh, you know, these guys haven't had any significant wins. You know, in the any any time recently, you know. And another guy you got to give credit to is Alexander Povetkin. I mean, I know both of these guys, both White and Povetkin, have, have had their you know problems with PEDs, and a lot of people have just kind of written them off and call them cheaters and this and that. But you know, Povetkin hasn't taken really any easy fights in a long time either. I mean, he's a guy who's always game to to take on the best. So um, you know, credit to him, you know, for for hanging in there and at forty years of age going into White's. Or literally, White's promoter's backyard, <laughs> knocking out Dillian White. You know, uh, right? Yeah, uh, literally the promoter's backyard. <laughs> did, you, did 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 it make? Am I am I reaching too much here? Did did the ending remind you of the the last Marquez Pacquiao fight a little bit, like a heavyweight version of it? <laughs> well, if if White had fallen on his face, yes, it would it would have. But uh, <laughs> but uh, that was, I mean, he just like you know straight down on his back, and you know it was almost. It was almost like when uh, Pacquiao hit Hatton, you know, and the way he fell, just like straight down and arms up, and um, yeah, man. Just, right, just a right. Shot. But but when Pacquiao fought Hatton, Pacquiao was just landing those booming lefts at will. Mm. Um, so really, it it wasn't a shock. I mean, the the knockout was spectacular, um, but it wasn't a shock when it happened. I mean, this, you know, the the reason it reminded me of Pac of, of Marquez Pacquiao's last fight was. 
it was just such a shock, you know, like White was looked like to be on the verge of finishing off Povetkin the same way, maybe not quite as dramatic, but but in the same manner that Pacquiao seemed to be getting ready to finish off Marquez. And then just suddenly, though, the one punch out of nowhere came and ended it. Um, um, it's, you yeah, know, it was, look, it, to me, it, it, it's a knockout of 2020 for sure, so, you know, so far. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, just all things considered, yeah, just the, the yeah. drama of it and coming from, you know, way behind and, 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 and you know, ending it in one shot. It was... It was and the that. level of the opponent, you know, two yes. top ten guys. It's not it's not a, just a huge puncher against, a, you know, a B or C level fighter. Right, right, right. There's a lot at stake as well. A lot at stake. So, so yeah, man. Uh, looking forward to that rematch. It'll be great. Uh, you know, hopefully, right. hopefully it'll it'll be somewhere other than uh, than Hearn's backyard. But if it has to be there, it has to be there. Um, right. Now, ready, DeAndre, ready to talk about the ready to talk about the women? Oh, uh, heck yeah, man. This was a this was a fight I was really looking forward to because you know I I, I was there at the Garden um, for the first one, and I have to admit I didn't score it round by round their first fight um you know i wasn't upset that taylor got the decision but there were a lot of people who were <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um this one you know it, you know it, it you know it looked like katie was gonna was gonna you know kind of learn her lessons from the first fight it was it's was gonna you know stay uh stay out of the trenches and just you know stay moving and so on but but pursuit is just you know like a terminator man she just like keeps coming keeps coming will not let well, you rest relentless and uh just dragged her into and and made it just a a street fight at times and uh very close fight you know again you know it's like it could have went either way um you know how did you have it you know i I, I, again i didn't score it um i think just kind of like loosely in my head i think i might have had it you know six four taylor but i I could definitely seen it you know go you know if someone had six four pursuit i wouldn't call them crazy you know well, I'm I'm one of those people who you're not calling crazy. I scored both <laughs> fights. Both fights I scored six four ninety six ninety four for Delphine Persoon. Right. Um, right. And for those of you who didn't see the fight, Taylor got got the decision in both fights. Uh, you know, when I when I talk about it on boxing talk, I'm very careful. I don't call it a controversial decision, but I say that Taylor won two debatable decisions. Um, and uh, you know, even even the disown even the disown announcers who you know have an interest in promoting taylor you know were saying that if you had it for pursuing they couldn't argue with you right 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 yeah and, uh, and, and to be honest too i thought the disown uh broadcasters were a little being a little bit homers for for taylor <laughs> they yeah. were point, they were pointing yeah, out every shot that she landed and maybe about half the shots pursuit landed but uh but it was but yeah, yeah. the interesting the, a couple of things that i just found very interesting about this fight was uh, you know, they did the, the post-fight interview, and, you know, first of all, the, the, the damage to these women, I mean, I, I've never seen a, a fight where both women were, were so damaged. I mean, mm. Taylor Taylor had a lump on her forehead, hematoma, a lump on her forehead that was, like you know, a Rockman against Holyfield. <laughs> and and Pursoon reminded me of, of William Joppy, you know, after he fought Bernard Hopkins with the swelling <laughs> under both of her eyes. You yeah. Know? Very yeah. pronounced swelling under both of her eyes, and she said she she also said she thought she had a broken nose from the second round on. Mm. So this was a real, real it's a physical war. fight. Yeah, very physical fight. And, you know, and and if 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 these two fought with three minute rounds like the men do instead of the two minute rounds like the women do, I, I really think Pursun 
would have would have won no question. I mean, mm. he just was in incredible shape and just just I mean, just kept bringing it. And and you know, you could see Taylor was more skilled and and could box better and 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 Pursuit's punches were a little too wide, but you know, she never stopped and and just wore Taylor down and just came just despite like the you know, the the significant swelling and the damage that Pursuit took. She just kept coming forward and kept pressing and forcing forcing Taylor out of her game plan, you know, and just forcing right. Taylor onto the back foot. And I, I don't think the judges gave enough credit for that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it was really just kind of what you liked. I mean, I, you know, I didn't, I mean, I still haven't seen like a, I don't know if boxing scene or anyone has the punch stat for that or if there even was a punch stat. But I, would I bet- thought it was it was somewhere along the lines. Don't don't exactly quote me on this. It was somewhere along the lines of like a, a hundred and five to ninety five in favor of pursuing punches landed. Okay, so it wasn't that significant. Was it? It was not. It was not. No. Okay. It wasn't. I I would have thought that pursuing might have might have landed. I mean, I, I assumed that she landed the more punches. I thought it was you know it was a little more pronounced than that. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I thought Taylor's punches seemed sharper, you know, and they were more eye-catching, and they were definitely, you know, with the, the form was much better. But, you know, it did seem like, yeah, Pursum was throwing a lot more, and, uh, and it did seem like she was landing more. So it really was what you liked. You know, did you, do you like, you know, how, how efficient and, and correct Taylor's stuff is? Do you, you know, discount Pursum just, you know, throwing kind of arm punches at times? Or, you know, do mm-hmm. you give credit to the volume and, and, and her forcing the fight, her fight onto, onto Katie? You know, I mean, you could look at it either way and make a convincing argument. So uh, yeah. I don't I know if either of them want to do it again, but I would watch it again. <laughs> I, I certainly would, too. I don't think it's going to happen. First of all, I don't think Pursum helped herself in the court of public opinion, because if you saw the post-fight interview, she basically conceded the fight. She said she had no problem with the decision and and she tried her best, but she seemed to think that she was the loser of the fight. And I'll disagree with her, but, um, you know, she wasn't out there saying she was robbed, like, you know, like most like most fighters in that situation would have done. Right. So I, I think right there, she gave Taylor and Match Room an out, and I think they'll be more than happy to take that out. Um, <laughs> you know, that that's a... You know, third fight, they're all extremely risky for Taylor. And, you know, Taylor's such a draw and has no shortage of attractive attractive opponents um, that she doesn't really need Pursuit again. You know, she's she got two wins on her record. And, you know, if, if Pursuit is conceding that she lost, I'll, I'll disagree. But, you know, it kind of uh, softens the public demand for the fight. You know, the other thing I noticed was, to me, this was one of the only fights I could think of you know, Pursun looked so much bigger than Taylor in the ring. Right. Um, she looked like she belonged in a bigger weight class. And, and, the, and, and the only fight, and basically after the fight, Pursun said she was going to go back down to 130. And she's a bigger looking boxer. And Taylor's likely headed up to 140 for probably uh, some type of, you know, multi-division fight against Jessica McCaskill, who's now has all the belts at welterweight, but is a natural junior welterweight. So you've got Taylor, who looked like the smaller fighter, moving up in weight, and Pursuit, who looked like the much bigger fighter, moving down in weight. And, uh, you know, the, the, the good news is there's no shortage of big fights for either one of them 
at 130 and 140 pounds respectively. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, just imagine if, if Jessica could make 135 pounds, they could literally fight for all of the belts at 135 pounds, two of the belts that Jessica has at 140, right. and all of the belts at 147 pounds. They could literally fight right. for 10 belts in one fight in three divisions. Uh, Probably which, more because you'd have a couple of ring magazine belts on the pile. Exactly right. Maybe some IBO titles in there. So the it belts would be, yeah, would be in double a figures. A very big haul of hardware. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, clearly, you know, with, with that win, Katie has, has kind of stamped herself. She already is kind of the money fighter um, in, in women's boxing. And, and Jessica, obviously, with the, with the win over, the upset win over Cecilia, um, right. you know, is, is, is definitely a money fighter as well. And these two have fought, you know, uh, a, a few years ago, I think now, uh, what was a really entertaining fight, you know, it, it was a competitive fight. I mean, Katie definitely won it. She kind of, you know, came on down to stretch, but, uh, but you know, Jessica marked her up and, and definitely made it tough. So, um, and she's a lot more experienced now. I mean, she yeah. hasn't had anywhere near the kind of background in the sport Taylor had that right. fight was in 2017 um so you know three three years of of mccaskill able to soak up technique and knowledge in the sport might 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 make a difference um you know and 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 taylor's just got a ton of options i mean amanda serrano is always going to be out there for right right um i mean for me if i'm eddie hearn the the first call i i may make is you know maybe maybe cecilia breakhouse wants to wants to do a cash out fight maybe Maybe she wants to give it one more crack and 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 fight a legend like Katie Taylor, and that's that's a that's a still a viable fight. I mean, Breakhouse Breakhouse lost to to McCaskill, but I, I you know I, I think people would would tune in to see Taylor Breakhouse. That could be a main event for for Matchroom. Um, so she's got she's got it. Those are at least three options right there. And you know, for Pursuit, uh, Matchroom has I believe two of the champions at 130 pounds. Um, uh, Terry Harper and Eva Brodnika, if I'm saying her name right. I think they've got right. Natasha Jonas, who's a big star in England. And well, that was a know, great fight. Cat- I don't know if you saw it. Jonas and Harper was an absolute just banger of a fight. That that, that was like one of the fights of the year as well. I mean, you know, right. again, so could fight any one of them, or 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 and, and Michaela Myers knocking at the door there. So right, um, and they can. So, so, they could all move up and fight Taylor too. I mean, Jonas and Harper obviously uh, are with Matchroom, so those are natural. And Jonas and Taylor were amateur rivals, so uh, that that's definitely a great domestic fight. Uh, actually, actually, it's not quite domestic. I think you know, Katie's Irish, but uh, um, right. it's a UK. It's a great UK fight. Great UK fight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, listen, yeah, I mean, I think you know the the natural trajectory. I think of this is probably you know. Taylor McCaskill rematch uh, for you know double figures and belts if they want to do it that way, um, but yeah, I mean, listen, uh, you know, supposedly uh, Clarissa Shields said she can get down to forty-seven if either McCaskill or, or Taylor want to challenge her there. So, you know, it's it, it's all in play for for Katie Taylor for sure. I mean, she's she's got a ton of options, and and you know, women's boxing is is, is about as exciting as it's ever been. You know, you've definitely got a, a, a number of you know, um, would have shown to be great matchups and great fights and fights of the year and, uh, and, and, the, and more the, to come. The, 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 difference, the difference is that in the women's mm-hmm. side of the sport, 
The big fights get made. Right. Everybody's unifying. The fights get made. The you know, the promoters want to make money, and and they're just so you know there aren't a lot. The, the divisions aren't particularly deep. There's usually you know a few big names in each division, but you know it, it's not like you know what you're seeing like in the men's middleweight division where Canelo and Golovkin can can avoid each other ad infinitum by fighting for different belts and. And different guys who seem interesting for the moment. I mean, the 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 women and everyone can avoid Demetrius Andre. <laughs> right, right. But the the and no and the fights don't get made. The, right. the, the women though, the the promoters seem to be willing to. It, the fights just seem to get to be able to. The fights seem to be more makeable than the men's. But to the women's credit, they're all taking the fights. You know, they're not right. they're not hiding behind mandatories. They're not hiding behind belts and excuses. Uh, they, they they seem to be willing, and, and you have the the best you know with large collections of belts. But that, that's that's the way it should be. The the you know the, these fights are getting made, and that's a good thing. Yeah, and, and you know, and I, I hate to say it, but I think it's probably a good thing that neither you know Top Rank or PBC has any of these fighters either. Although they do have Top Rank does have Michaela Mayer, so. Lord knows right. if she wins the title, you know, I mean, she's got, I mean, she'll have no one to fight, <laughs> you know, she's got to fight, you know, some of the matchroom fighters and, 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 you know, some of the fighters that Ludabella has, so. Um, well, su- supposedly the WBO ordered a purse bid uh, uh, for Meyer to face e- Eva Brodnicka, again, not sure if I'm saying her name right, apologies, champ, if I mispronounce your name, <laughs> but uh, they, they ordered it, and then I didn't see them holding the purse bid, so I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure what happened with that, but um, that fight is supposed to happen next. Um, and, you know, we'll see if whoever wins the purse bid, will the other fighter go, you know, to foreign soil to fight? Um, I, I would think so. I and mean, if, 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 if these other fights are any indication, the, the, the women seem to be taking the fights, um, you know, even if it's not an ideal situation. So, um, you know, a lot, a lot to follow. And you're developing the sports, developing story. The, the women's boxing is developing storylines and 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 familiar names. And you know, it's always great for division when you have three or four different names, so that people can fight each other and the you know the just do round robins of fights. And, and it just it seems to be happening. Well, the women too don't don't seem to really mind jumping up or jumping down divisions either. You know, much much right. easier than the men. Uh, Right. I mean, obviously, you got you know Amanda Serrano's won titles in what five or six, maybe seven divisions or something. It's crazy, right. crazy. Right. So, so, but no, nah, man, lots to look forward to uh, in, in the women's game. You know, it's really exciting, and you know the fights are really delivering. Um, and, and, and credit, and before you move on, credit to the zone. I, I think yes. with all the competing fights, I think the zone won the weekend in boxing. Yeah, yeah, just two absolute, you know, awesome fights and. Uh, I don't even know if I got a chance. I mean, I haven't watched the. the I've heard the undercard fights were were really good too. So credit to Eddie Hearn and the matchmakers at. Uh, I guess Eric Botcher. Give give credit to Eric Botcher, the matchmaker right. at uh, right. at Matchroom. Um, you want to talk about uh, PBC's fights or ESPN fights? Which one? Which which one you want to go with next? Yeah, well, Joe Smith Jr. from Long Island, New York, had a <laughs> win. Local boy, yes, yes. Well, you know, and, and that fight, you know, I mean, Joe Smith's just a guy who, you know, I, I always tend to underestimate him, you know. 
I mean, just maybe because I remember watching him on, on Broadway boxing and, and not being particularly impressed with him early in his career. And he'd already had like a, a knockout loss. So I just I just thought he was, you know, a, a, another guy who, who just wasn't going to go anywhere. And it just seems like he's getting better and better with, with each year and with each fight. You know, I mean, he absolutely beasted Alvarez in there. He just went at him and just beat him down. You know, like, right. I did not right. think this he was, could walk was, through him like know, that. Go ahead. No, no, I mean, it, you know, in, in my, and I, I feel the same way. You know, we, we've seen him come up in the New York area. I'm, I'm looking at his record now. That knockout loss was in 2010 to Eddie Caminero. Um, and, you know, you kind of... You'd never think he would get where he's gotten today. You kind of pigeonhole him <laughs> into a certain spot. And, you know, for me... The, the, the pigeonhole, and maybe it's lazy thinking, uh, you know, based on uh, perhaps skin color, but not perhaps, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think of him as a Mickey Ward type, a guy who's, you know, always going to get, always going to get outboxed and is just, you know, if he lands the one big punch, he'll win. Um, and I, I tend to think of him as a Mickey, in that Mickey Ward type mold, um, but he sure didn't fight like that uh, Saturday. You know, he, he showed some improved skills and, I mean, Alito Alvarez, you know, for those who need a refresher, I mean, his only other loss was, was to Sergey Kovalev in a world title fight, and he had previous to that beaten Kovalev. So, I mean, this, this you know, this, this was a, a top, top guy, and, and it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't like a Povetkin situation where he was losing the fight and then just came up with a big knockout. He won the fight and, and, and finished it off. So, yeah. Um, Dominated. Just a tremendous, tr- tremendous win, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Alvarez, I mean, you look at his resume. I mean, wins over Chalemba, Lucien Butte, you know, Jean Pascal, Sergey Kovalev, and a highlight reel knockout this year of Michael Seals. I mean, he was a guy, you know, uh, you know, former Olympian, former world champ. I mean, this, you know, I mean, Joe Smith's resume is starting to, starting to become really impressive. You know, it's start, you know, he's got the fun, he's beaten Fon Farah and Hopkins and Jesse Hart and now leader Alvarez. I mean, He's legit, man. He is absolutely legit. Uh, top ten light heavyweight, but it's it's another division that's kind of it's stacked and it's it's got some tough guys at the top. You know, he's already lost to Bivol. Um, you know, I, I guess uh, this one uh, this was the the it was an eliminator in the WBO for the title that uh, that Canelo has vacated after he right. uh, knocked out Kovalev, and I guess there's a a second half of this eliminator that that may or may not happen. So Smith may end up, you know, kind of in a way backing into a, uh, into a title, but I mean, he certainly earned, uh, you know, the respect with the, with the, just a dominating performance over Alvarez. Well, the, the, for, for the fans, the, the, in the WBO rankings, um, Alvarez and Smith were number four and number three coming in. Smith will now go out of Alvarez. Um, you know, the, the, the plan was for the number one and number two, two Eastern European fighters by the name of Umar Salamov and Maxime Veslov, Vlasov, uh, are supposed to fight each other. Uh, I haven't seen a date for that fight of you. No, I think there's, there's, they've said there's like COVID and visa. I mean, I think they were trying to do that fight here in in the States. I mean, I know that, um, Umarov, uh, Salida, Dmitry Salida has him. Salomov, uh, yeah. Salomov, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Umar uh, Sal- Salomov. I know Dimitri has him. I- I'm not sure who has uh, Vlasov. Um, but uh, I think he's done. Mo- he's, had- he's had most of his fights in Russia. So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, you know, if, if I'm, I'm sure they'll find a way to make that happen. I mean, if they're both in Russia, it would make sense to have the fight in, in Russia. But, um, but we'll see. Um, but uh, it, was inter- it was interesting, you know, you said we'll see what happens. I mean, I think Smith was quoted as saying that he was told at one point that this was going to this fight that he just won was going to be for the vacant title. Mm. Um, so we'll see. But uh, certainly Joe Smith versus anybody for a title would be a, a pretty watchable fight. Uh, I think that a lot of fans would would, would be interested in. Um, I would make him the favorite over either, you know, Vlasov or uh, Salomov. I mean, uh, I, I think I've seen both guys fight, and, and the Joe Smith that beat Alvarez, I, I don't think either of them get past him. <laughs> right. um, well, Vlasov is, is 33 years old. He's 45-3. and three. Let's take a look. He's, he's got a loss at cruiserweight to Krzysztof Glowacki, my man. Um, <laughs> he had a loss to Zerto Ramirez before Ramirez was champion, and he had another loss uh, uh, about nine years ago to the man who's uh, always, when, whenever you see a press release, it's always he's always called perennial contender Isaac Chalemba. <laughs> uh, so those are three losses. So a loss to Chalemba, and uh, he certainly he doesn't have any overwhelming, he, he, look, he avenged the win against Chalemba more recently, but, you know, he... he well, it'd be an interesting fight. He's he's bigger than he's bigger than Smith. Um, he's got twenty six KOs in his forty eight fights. Listen, who, let 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 them fight and let's let's just keep the division moving. Uh, right. You know, right. Joe, Joe Smith versus anybody's an interesting fight. Absolutely. Light, light heavyweight suffered um, lately by you know Bevel's a great fighter, but really hasn't been able to unify the titles and. You know, I'd like to see some of these guys fight. Let, 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 let's let these guys fight. Um, I thought we finally had some momentum when Vader BF uh, beat Vazdik, but, but things have slowed down a little bit in, in, in the 175-pound division. Yeah, I know you, you have uh, some connection to, to Better BF's next fight. So so what happened? He was going to fight the mandatory, and, and then just visa problems uh, interrupted that? or what, uh, Well, it's, it's, it's being decided as we speak. Um, um, Peter BF has an IBF mandatory due. Uh, uh, Fan Long Meng of China is, uh, is, is the mandatory contender. Um, it's complicating the fact is that he's here in the United States. And so he's a Chinese citizen located in the United States trying to get into Russia on short notice for a fight. Uh, probably not going to be able to, uh, to be pulled off. Um, so, um, um, Peter BF is currently going down the list of available contenders. And I think you will probably see him fighting Adam Danes in Russia to fight. Uh, there's a promoter in Russia who put up some money, um, and top rank agreed to, to do the Peter BF fight there. I think you're probably going to see Peter BF versus Adam Dines, uh, announced for September or maybe October, um, Pretty soon, and uh, and uh, Fan Long will remain as the next mandatory. Would be my guess. Okay, and then the, that fight more or less better be it would have to be able to come to the United States to make that happen, right? Which fight? If if he beats Dines and he still owes the mandatory, he would he would need to come to the states, or or you think Top Rank would be willing to bring him to the states to fight? Uh, 
Fan Long Meng? I think Top Rank will try to do the fight wherever it makes the most dollars and cents for them. Um, mm. And that's, uh, you know, look, this is not a unique problem to this fight. I mean, we're, we're in a world where travel from country to country is, you know, very difficult right now. Uh, like I said, the fact, you know, Fan Long's situation is unique um, in that, you know, you have three countries that have varying rules and, you know, are in politically charged situations right now. But, um, you know, this this is not, uh, while the facts are unique, it's a, it's a common problem. Um, look, if if the parties can make a deal, you know, the, 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 the best solution is always the parties making a deal in a, in a, in a location where the fight comes from. I mean, you have, you have Peter BF as a, as a Russian who is based in Canada and promoted in, you know, has a United States promoter with most of their dates in the United States. The original fight was, was going to be in Canada back in March. Um, and so there's, there's a lot to work out. Um, and I, I don't think anyone can predict what the world's going to be like nine months from now. So, um, right. just have to keep advocating for our guys and, and hopefully everybody gets their chance. You know? Right. right. Um, you know, did did you notice in the 175 pound division? What did you think of um, David Benavides suddenly being made the uh, the mandatory in the WBC? <laughs> I didn't know that that happened. Wow! 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 Yeah, they they jumped on him. But two days after he failed to make weight for 168, the the WBC named him the the mandatory. Uh, you know, and BWF had that title too. So that's um, interesting. You know, who knows if that, I, I mean, I would just, I don't have any inside knowledge. I would think that's going to be a difficult fight to make and not likely to happen. But, you know, let's see who blinks first. I mean, right. Yeah, I, I thought that, uh, I thought that Benavides had kind of expressed a desire to stay at super middleweight, even though he missed it pretty badly on the scales. He um, did. He, he has. He has. That's interesting. That's interesting. But the BC's kind of already, you know, pushing him to uh to go up a weight. Um that's, they're, they're, that, yeah, they're making they're making moves, you know, with Dillian White and Canelo Alvarez and, and <laughs> you know, can, can, have you talked in a podcast about Canelo Alvarez and uh and and the Turkish fighter Avni Yildirim who's now the mandatory? <laughs> yeah, it's like Canelo basically said, Yeah, I wanna fight him. WBC make the fight for a title. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I mean, you gotta love these mandatory defenses for guys who haven't won fights for almost two years, you know? <laughs> yeah, that, that one's, I don't know, man. Yeah. The BC is like, something's changed and something's, uh, remained the same and, 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 uh, or, you know, the, the BC forever is just making it up as they go along. You know, the, the, the rules are whatever Maurizio, uh, decides on a particular day, you know? And oftentimes it's and, whoever the last person he talked to, they they get it going their way. <laughs> and just and you know for the fans out there who aren't really part of the business, the the idea of Canelo Alvarez, you know that that this title is vacant at 168 pounds, and the idea of Canelo Alvarez fighting for it certainly you know he, it it's not that he doesn't deserve it or he's not good enough. Certainly Canelo Alvarez, you know if he were one of the if you were in the, if you consider him in the 168 pound division, 
he's certainly the best, if not you know one of the best, if not the best guy in the division. So it's not on, on the one hand, it's not crazy that he would fight for the title. It's really the process that's 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 maddening, you know. That just you know, if ben, if Benavides had retained, if Benavides had made weight and retained his title, would they would they be forcing, you know, would, would they be really ordering Benavides versus Canelo? I, it's pretty clear they wouldn't, you right. know. But but because through through this, you know, circumstance where Benavides failed to miss weight, and they've got their favorite Avniel Diram sitting there at number one, and the chance for him to make money, it, it, it you know it. it the business side of it stinks, and it's not fair to other fighters who are, you know, somebody's ranked number two in that division. And I'm not saying that they're, like, you know, if you want to say his name, good luck. But um, um, <laughs> uh, if, 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 you know, somebody's ranked number two in that division, and I'm not saying that that person is better or more deserving than Canelo Alvarez, but the process is unfair. And, and um, I think that's, that's kind of the point I'm trying to make. Right. It should, it, it, you should stick to the rules and uh, not just make this up as you go along. Yeah, that's kind of, you know, that's that's always been the, the mainstream, uh, you know, and, and, and the boxing presses, uh, you know, criticism of the sport is it just, there's just no structure to it. You know, there's no, right. there's no orderliness to it. You know, it's just, it's whatever the sanctioning bodies decide and, you know, and, and it, it just, it just really makes the sport look, you know, just chaotic, and, and it makes the sport chaotic. Um, and, and, uh, in this particular case, the WBC's, the, the WBC's rankings are so bad and so corrupt in this case that it's 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 just not going to be a source of outrage because you know the number two contender. Uh, I'm going to try his name. Uh, Abdu Gofaroff is his last name. Mm. Um, you know, not. I've never seen him fight. I'm not insulting him as a fighter at all, but really hasn't doesn't have the caliber of of wins to me to be ranked number two in the world. I'm not even to me. I don't think there's any question about that. I don't think there's anybody other than the WBC who would say this is a top two fighter in the world. But you know, Avni Yildirim versus this guy, um, nobody really wants to see that. So it's not that there's going to be a hue and a cry when Canelo Alvarez fights Yildirim, but um, you know, the idea that Yildirim should be a mandatory contender is tough to justify, and it's it's just a bad look for the sport. Yeah, and it's kind of a letdown, too. I mean, you know, it, all things that it, at least recently had pointed to Canelo taking on Callum Smith, you know, and that was definitely a fight that people were looking forward to at 168, sure. and, and now we've got... And I, I, look, I still, want to see, I still want to see a third fight between... Alvarez and, and Golovkin, and sure. I know that's kind of that's kind of fading from the radar, and maybe not as many fans want to see that now as they did two years ago. But I mean, listen, Canelo's the 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 face of the, one of the faces of the sport. I mean, and he can fight, so right. there's no there's no need for him to have to fight a guy who's you know not even a legitimate top twenty fighter. I mean, for the amount of money he's getting paid, and and. And the good of the sport, I mean, you know, fight fight somebody that fans want to see. Callum Smith would be a, a very reasonable opponent. Golovkin would be a very reasonable opponent. There are a few others. Um, you know, Danny Jacobs is worthy. I know he fought already. Um, uh, Derevyanchenko. I mean, these guys have earned the fight. They've earned a big fight. Right. You know, um, Yildirim has not earned a big fight. Right, right. Yeah, it's just a fight that, you know, no one's clamoring to see, you know, outside of fans of, uh, you know, 
<laughs> you'll tear him. <laughs> but uh, and his and his immediate family. But uh, and a Met owner, his promoter. There you go, Met. Don't want to leave a Met out, man. Met's character. Right. Um, all right, man. Well, listen. Let's uh, let's let's kind of finish off the weekend. Um, you know, Sean Porter. Um, you know, came back. Uh, you know, his first, I believe, fight since uh, since the Spence uh, epic fight that he had last year. Um, you know, Sebastian Formello, to me, I mean, listen, I I had him in my top twenty. I mean, he'd had a couple good wins recently. Um, you know, very uh, you know technical boxer from 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 Germany. Um, you know, I, I, the fight pretty much went as I expected. I, I honestly did not expect Porter to knock him out because I think Formella's, you know, really solid technical boxer um, who's not going to stand there and get knocked out. Um, but it was... It For wasn't, those of you who don't know, he's a former Olympian. Um, right. He was 22-0 coming in. Uh, he had the IBO title and beat some decent guys. Uh, yeah, but the win over Mabenga was an upset. That, that was a really good win, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. With over Tulani mm-hmm. Mabenga, so he's legit, you know, legit top twenty guy, um, you know, maybe top fifteen, uh, and uh, you know, he gave, you know, the, like Porter, you know, like every round was, I wouldn't say every round was competitive, but Formella, you know, got his shots in, you know, he, he, you know, it's not like Porter just, you know, ran through him and the guy grabbed the whole time. Like Formella definitely landed counter shots on him, you know, he definitely put some shots on Porter. He just doesn't hit very hard and. And uh, I guess he just hit hard enough to to stay in there for 12 rounds with Sean Porter. But, you know, listen, Porter got 12 rounds in, gets a solid guy, um, you know, got got back, got another, got a win on the board. Um, Right. You know, what do you, what do you, what would you like to see next for Sean Porter? Well, I'll just say that on paper, this was a pretty uh, reasonable matchup. Uh, Didn't really turn out that way because Porter was just, you know, too too much for Formella. I can't really fault the PBC for this one. Like I said, it, on paper, Formella had some decent wins. He was an undefeated guy, former Olympian. He, he came to win. Um, going forward for Porter, I mean, what I would like is not going to happen. I, I mean, I'm hoping that there could be some combination of fights made where somebody gets left out on PBC and has to fight Terrence Crawford. You know, right. um, he doesn't seem to have a dance partner because Terrence Crawford is, is with Top Rank and all the rest of the top welterweights are with Al Heyman's PBC organization. Um, you know, but Porter and uh, Crawford seem to be friends and it doesn't seem to be in the cards that they're going to fight each other uh, under, you know, circumstances unless they can just make unbelievable type money. Um, so I don't think that's going to happen. Um, you know, look. Porter's an exciting fighter. I, you know, I'd love to see him against Keith Thurman uh, or again or Manny Pacquiao. I mean, I, I, I watch I watch Sean Porter, but it's just about anybody. Um, I, you know, I, I, I mean that that's all I can say. He's an exciting fighter. I respect him. Uh, I'm a fan, and you know, whoever he wants to fight. I mean, he's he's you know, you talked about Povetkin not taking any easy fights. I mean. You look at his, you know, fights. I mean, Formella was his easiest fight in a few years. I mean, Errol Spence, Jordanis Ugas, Danny Garcia, Keith Thurman, Adrian Broner, Adrian Granados. Um, Andre Berto, yeah. Andre Berto, <laughs> Hell Brook. Um, 
you know, that's that's a who's who of the of the welterweight division, except for you know, a couple names. But he's he's fought he's fought more than anybody more than anybody else has. Um, so I don't know what's next for him, but I, I'm sure it's going to be a big fight. Uh, this was an eliminator, wasn't it? So. Well, it was for the WBC silver title, so uh, yeah, um, you know, I think Spence has the uh, the BC belt uh, proper, um, and he's got a really good fight coming up against Danny Garcia. It's funny the the guy you mentioned who's kind of the odd man out. I mean, Sean Sean got his in, he got his win. Um, he's he's got a you know got a got a W back on the board, but Keith Thurman, like you know Keith, you know says. You know, people have asked him about fighting Crawford, and he's like, hey, make me an offer. Let's do it. Um, and there's been a little back and forth between those guys. I mean, generally that doesn't go anywhere between the, the PPC welterweights and, and Crawford. But, uh, man, I would love to see that fight. That would be great. I mean, Keith doesn't really have a dance partner. I didn't, you know, I, I spoke to Tim Smith uh, last month, and, and, and you know, Keith, Keith isn't currently on the Fox schedule that they announced, and he's not on the Showtime schedule. Um, but, but Tim, you know, Tim said that, you know, they, they like to get Keith in by the end of the year, but I haven't heard anything about him fighting anyone. So, you know, hoping against hope, but man, it would be nice to see, uh, Crawford and Thurman as opposed to Crawford and then Kel Brook or someone of that nature. Right. I mean, uh, I can't remember if I saw you at, uh, at, at Keith Thurman's win over Jose Cito Lopez, but, uh, that was his if you remember, that was the fight before his loss to Pacquiao and right. his first fight after nearly two years off. And, you know, he didn't look like the Keith Thurman of old. Um, you know, he, he did better against Pacquiao, but still lost. I would think at this point, Thurman is probably looking for a very large sum of money. The rumor, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't have any inside information, but the rumor is he's kind of pricing himself out of a Crawford fight. Mm. Um, but I would think that, um, you know, as long as there are some big names available, he's going to hold out for as long as possible. And then, you know, maybe if, if, if anything can't be done before the end of the year, then, then take a, a, you know, lower level opponent just, just, just to, just to get a win. in. you know, his fight with Pacquiao was July of 2019. So, um, he didn't. He really hasn't had a. He hasn't had a fight in 13 months now. So right. I would think he should have some kind of activity. But he's probably going to hold out for as long as possible to to see you know how the dominoes fall. Yeah, it's interesting too. You mentioned Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao is another guy who hasn't had a, a dance partner in, in, in 2020. He hasn't fought since the the Thurman fight. So I don't think there's any talk of those guys having a rematch. Um, Manny's been mentioned, you know, I mean, Bob has mentioned him, you know, as an opponent for Crawford, but, um, Sean Gibbons, who's, you know, works with, with Manny, is just like, nah, it's not happening. <laughs> so, uh... You know, for, for the guys like Pacquiao and Thurman, who've been, you know, making big money, um, and, and Crawford too, you know, these guys have been doing very well for themselves, you know, pre-COVID, and, and it's a different world now, and, you know, uh, Maybe these guys are are hesitant to adjust their demands for purses. Um, you know, uh, they've made a lot of money in their career. I don't. I'm not familiar with Thurman's you know personal financial situation, but you know he's he's made tons of money. Um, it's been a ton know, of big fights. Some, yeah, he's been a champion or I mean, you know for many 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 years. So <laughs> you know, some of these guys may they might not want to take they might not want to 
take a, a, a pay cut, you know, from their point of view for these big fights. They might not be willing to do it. And, you know, look, boxing is a dangerous sport. I, I can't say I blame them, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't think any promoter is going to be anxious to lose a ton of money um, or, or guarantee, you know, pre-COVID numbers when it's unclear if they'll be able to sell tickets to a fight. So, you know, that, that's probably adding to it, um, you know. Yeah, it's it's it, it's interesting. Like the the pay per view market. I mean, you know, PBC is is boldly going there with a with a bunch of pay per views coming up. Right? They've got the they've got the the Charlo brothers on one of them in, in excellent fights. They've got um, Spence and Garcia presumably on on pay per view. They've got Javante uh, Davis, uh, Leo Santa Cruz. You know, I mean, they're all good matchups. Um, right. But you know. It's people going to pay for it in this exactly. It's going to be really interesting, you know, where, where the numbers fall on those because, uh, I mean, it seems like UFC is doing fine uh, with their pay their pay per views, but um, you know, boxing, you know, I don't think there was a pay per view that did more than four hundred last year, four hundred buys. Yeah, the so. numbers the numbers are certainly trending down. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Oh no, no, I'm wrong. Actually, this year, this year was uh, was. Uh, was Fury Wilder, and that one, even though it did, you know, was it 800, I think was was kind of the consensus, although it's really hard to, to get an accurate read on buys nowadays, because they come from so many different sources, but uh, I think it was around 800, you know, give or take, and that was less than, than expectations, they were definitely looking to, to, to go over a million um, with oh, all the exposure. Trending down, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so... So yeah, so what what do you do as a Pacquiao, a Crawford, or or a Thurman, where you know you've you've been to that mountaintop? You especially Manny's fought on pay per view, you know, pretty much almost exclusively the last, you know, <laughs> I can't even count how many years. So um, you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see post COVID, uh, you know, how these guys match up and, and where the fights are going to land. So uh, all right, does he, does does Manny want to take a fight for? Less than he thinks he deserves. Does he want to wait? Does he want to run for president of the Philippines? I mean, right. You know, I mean to be honest, that's, make- that, that's a pretty good fight to go out on beating Keith Thurman. <laughs> you know, I mean, if if you want a storybook ending, that that's a pretty good one. You know, undefeated uh, welterweight champion. Uh, you know, who uh, a lot of people thought was was you know biting off more than he could chew. I mean, that that that's a pretty one, yeah. pretty good one to go out yeah. on. I mean, I know they're they they would really they're really hoping against hope that they could get Floyd back in the ring, but I don't I don't really see that one happening again. Uh, right, right. So, but uh, but interesting. So, of of, did you watch any of the uh, the ESPN or the PBC undercards? Anything catch your eye on on, on either of those? Uh, either I tell you what did, I tell you what did catch my eye was. Uh, did you see what happened in Germany this weekend? I did not. I did not. Johan Pablo Hernandez. Oh, I, I saw highlights of that. Yeah. <laughs> Came out of retirement after six years, had a great record. He only had a couple of losses on his record. When, you know, he, he uh, his last fight, I mean, he was a champ. His last fight prior to this weekend was a IBF Cruiserweight Championship fight that he won. So he retired as a champion. And, uh, you know, a lot of it was injury related, but came back six years later as a heavyweight and got destroyed by Kevin Kingpin Johnson. <laughs> I mean, did you see the knockout? I mean, I, was, I saw the knockout and I was like, is that Kevin Johnson? Is that Kevin Johnson who's been pretty much a punching bag for prospects the last couple of years? I mean, 
going on the offense was, and, and walking the guy it, down. It wasn't was like, Kevin Whoa. Johnson Jr. It wasn't a different guy <laughs> named Kevin Johnson. It was Kevin Johnson who just knocked Yoan <laughs> Paulo Hernandez the F out. I mean, and, and, and Hernandez was fighting open mouth and just getting pummeled in the last couple of rounds and fell face first. And Johnson, you know, fell down on his knees like he won a world championship. It was good for him. It was, man. It was a big finish. And, you know, I mean, Johnson uh, is another guy who can be abrasive in some of his comments, but this guy has been out there um, flying his craft around the world, mostly losing to local guys. And uh, nice to see that he put in the kind of effort that he did. And, and, and he was rewarded with, with a win that's going to, um, you know, get him some more fights. You know, well, that's keep, the keep thing. Going for another couple of years. Exactly. I'm like, man. You know, I mean, how many in a row had he lost? I mean, I'm looking at he lost like five in a row, um, and yeah, he just he, he he's been losing a lot more than he's been winning of late. So yeah, that 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 was a really big uh, a really big win for him. Um, yeah, I gotta say, uh, just on the undercards of the the ESPN and and, and PBC cards. Um, you know, I, I thought uh, um, Fundora got got. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. I mean, he's like this massive, you know, six five uh, um, junior middleweight. Um, and Gallimore is a tough guy, like a really tough guy who's been the distance right. with J Rock. He's been the distance with Lubin. Um, you know, really tough guy. You know, is generally in competitive fights. And Fundora got the stoppage. Um, I think. Uh, it was more uh, apparently Gallimore. I mean, I saw them cart him out of the ring on a stretcher. Um, he might have fractured his right foot. So uh, okay. yeah, just just you're kinda... not giving you're not giving you you left out Gallimore's signature win, which was Jason a Rosario. Out, yeah, <laughs> Jason Rosario, who, who's now you know holds two belts. So um, yeah, Fondora's a somebody got. I mean, look, it just it's just it's always shocking when you see a, a guy. You know, six foot five in the junior welterweight. I mean, the junior middleweight division. He's taller than most heavyweights, and right. you know, I, I I just can't imagine how he can legitimately weigh 154 pounds, <laughs> but he does. Uh, and he seems like he put his he put the time off uh, due to COVID to to good use. I mean, he fought just before. Um, just before, you know, the the shutdown of the sport in late February, but he fought a guy who was six and zero and 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 won um, by decision. Now he took a big step up in class and 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 won by knockout. So, uh, you know, he's twenty two years old. Um, he's got uh, probably the most savvy advisor in the sport in Samson Lukowitz, who we know is going to put him in some some good and well considered fights. So, I mean, this is this is someone who. We're going to see more of, and and we want to see more of, you know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and and it's funny you mentioned guys who Gallimore knocked out. I mean, when he beat Jason Rosario at the time, it wasn't a big deal, but you know now Rosario is is a very big deal. Um, another guy who uh, who got a really nice win on that card was Justin Deloach, who's a guy Gallimore absolutely destroyed when they fought, and Deloach was coming off some really good wins at the time. Um, but Deloach uh, took on a, a heralded, undefeated Cuban welterweight and just basically launched a, a ground-to-air to missile of a right hand that just 
drilled Navarro, and, and the fight was pretty, I mean, I don't even know how Navarro got up from it, um, but the fight was pretty much over in, 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 in a round. Very impressive win by Deloach, kind of, you know, getting himself, uh, you know, back in the picture at welterweight with a nice win. Um, one guy... Well, he's, who, moved, he's moved down He's moved down a division. Yeah, yeah. He, he fought Gallimore at 54. He fought Jason Rosario right after that at 54 and lost, and then has moved down. Uh, you know, lost uh, lost a close one to Terrell Williams, tough uh, welterweight out of L.A. And, uh, you know, they had him as a stepping stone for Navarro, and he proved he's no stepping stone. <laughs> right. Um, you know, just a, just a really brutal knockout or knockdown uh, with, with that first one. One guy I was really happy to see uh, kind of get, get back in the mix um, was uh, Julian Rodriguez, a, a New Jersey fighter. Who uh, hammer hands? Who's who's kind of yeah. he's he he was off for for a few years. Uh, he's the guy who Pat Lynch managed for a while. I don't think Pat has him anymore. Uh, Toro Gaddy's manager, um, and uh, you know he was a kid coming out of the amateurs. I mean, he's really fast hands, uh, really talented fighter. Um, but I don't know if it, if it was injuries or, or uh, I'm not quite sure how he kind of lost his passion a little bit. But he took. Took some time off. And I, I don't know if it was his passion. I, I think he uh, had a shoulder injury. That kept did he have a shoulder injury? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's a shame because, he, I mean, just a really good prospect. And I saw he uh, he got a hold of one of Joe DeGuardia's undefeated kids, Anthony uh, Loriano, and just, just uh, drilled him, knocked him down three times, put him out one round. So really impressive win for him. Hopefully we'll see uh, Julian start to, to step it up. He's 25 now, 20 and 0. Um, I always had my eye on him as a really good prospect coming up, so uh, we'll see what Julian can do now that he's healthy. Yeah, he's a real sleeper for all you uh, you boxing hardcore guys. Uh, casuals won't know about him, but but he's a real sleeper with a good pedigree, and um, you know I'm looking at his uh, looking at his record. Um, he did not fight between 2017 and 2019, and he was working his way back throughout 2019. You know against varying range of opposition but um you know smoke loriano was undefeated coming in so absolutely absolutely yeah someone to someone to to put an asterisk next to on your (laughs) prospect list absolutely absolutely yeah i think the last time i saw him was like 2016 i remember talking to to pat after the fight about him um and you know just you know they were looking for him to kind of you know turn the corner and 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 make moves and it sounds it looks like now that uh He's healthy that uh, you know he can he can finally uh, you know step on the gas a little bit. I mean he's only twenty five, so he's 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 still pretty young. But uh, I'm glad to see him get that win. So so yeah, man, we were supposed to have a quick and dirty discussion, Scott, and it's it's I think we're like over the hour mark right now. <laughs> well, it's always it's always it's always great, and uh, like I said, it's it's always great talking to you. But uh, this this was an easy one because we finally had a busy, exciting weekend of boxing and. Uh, you know, I hope we get. I hope we get some more of them. But uh, you know, just seeing, seeing, seeing. Uh, you know, I've become a cynic and I've been disappointed in in some of the some of the cards we've seen. And I listen. I know it's easy. It's it's really diff- It's easy to criticize and really difficult to to make the fights in this era of COVID. Uh, so I, I'm not trying to be too harsh to um, to the promoters out there. But it was you know you you see a fight between. Uh, you know, like like White and Povetkin between two top ten heavyweights, or between two of the very best pound for pound women in the world, like Taylor and Pursun, you realize 
how great the sport can be and what we've missed over the last few months. So um, to me, it was it brought it brought me back to the sport a little bit more than I'd been in the last couple of months. And uh, just hope hope this continues and hope this this weekend can really get the momentum going for for the sport again. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well put. Well put. Yeah, it seems like, you know, we, we, we do finally have boxing back. And I think, uh, you know, PBC's definitely got some great fights coming up. I know even this weekend, I'm looking forward to uh, Ramirez and, and Postal uh, on, uh, for top rank. So, uh, so yeah, mm-hmm. man, things are looking up, you know, some, some, some good fights ahead. Good fights ahead uh, during a very dreary time, man. <laughs> so... But all right, man. Well, I will let you go. Thanks so much. For, thanks so much for having me. And uh, it's always an, it's always an honor to to have anything to do with Ring Magazine, and of course to 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 be able to talk boxing with you, Kurt. All right, my brother. Take care, man. Okay. Hope all is well. All right. Talk to you. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast, presented by the Ring and RingTV.com, and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. Really like to thank Dr. Margaret Goodman and Scott Schaefer for taking the time to speak with me to uh, fun conversations. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audio Boom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. Really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast. And also, do not forget to check out my companion piece to this podcast on ringtv.com. That will also feature quotes and background on my interviews with Dr. Goodman and Scott. And until next time, so long, everybody. Did you get what you was looking for?